this week on the Off the Crossbar podcast. And then there were two. The Colorado Mammoth advanced the NLL Finals for the first time since 2006. We'll speak with John Lynch from the Mammoth, Dane Smith from the Bandits, and set you up for Game 1. Plus, an incredible round of box bets. All that and more on OTCB. I am an My name is Teddy Jenner, and welcome back for another year of National Lacrosse League action. Matthews, quick stick. Are you kidding me? By Dylan Ward. I don't believe what I just saw. That's the save of the year right there. Oh, wow. Blair right down the middle, shoots, and he scores! Assisted on two of them for Jackson. Dunks on Ward! Far side, Casey Jackson! Throughout an elbow. And here's Shumay pushing ahead. He's turned out to be a dangerous threat in transition. Again! His fourth of the postseason! And the unlikely hero story writes another chapter in six to four. Clock Noble. Doby on the left-hand side, steps in, has space, Doby fakes, fakes, finishes, and scores! An eternity for Dane Doby! One has led by more than three until this very moment. McLaughlin gets space, McLaughlin scores! What an effort to pull the Mammoth back within three. How about Eli McLaughlin? Now, guns blazing in the third. You do, every goal matters, both teams know it. Wow, that's another one! The Buckeye buries it. This is the first half. Now it's McIntyre. Somehow Robinson caught it and throws it into the net. Oh, man. Has been nothing short of phenomenal in the playoffs. Connor Robinson steps into one and ties it up. The missile from the outside. It's 9-9. to And here come the Mammoth. It's Joey Capito racing down the floor. Capito spins, shoots behind oh, the back, and scores! Oh my goodness! Lightning Joey Capito! Man. Berg, Stotts, Doby, Berg, one timer, scores! A massive goal. Snaps the 6-0 run. Here's Edwards for Chester. He answers back. The rookie. What placement right here. He gets Dylan Ward moving a little bit, going high-low, high-low. And then he goes far down. He transition. He has Doby, but can't get the pass through for Stotts instead. No! He scores! 
difference maker this game. Another big save. McLaughlin, there's the dagger! Colorado takes a three-goal lead with under a minute to play. His fifth of the night. What an absolute banana lands game down in Pachanga. Game three of the Western Finals was a beauty. Welcome back to the Off the Crossbar podcast. He is Pat Gregoire. I am Teddy Jenner. You can find him on Twitter at P Greggy. I am at Teddy Jenner, the show at OTCB underscore podcast and on Instagram at OTCB podcast. Patty, what is going on, my man? How are things back east? Hot, 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 hot. But that means summer's here, man. I feel like it has just gone from kind of like sort of warm weather here in Ontario to just scorching hot, which is great. Um, being stuck inside an arena on the bench in a scolding hot temperatures. That's how you know summer's back. It's the best and worst feeling. It is. It really, really is. Like I was on the golf course yesterday before our game and it was just a humid, heaty day. And I was like, oh man, it is going to be so hot in the arena tonight. And I was like, I'm going to love that, but I'm going to hate it. Yep. And I loved it and I hated it. And uh, yeah, summer is almost here. We are into the month of June. That means the NLL finals are here. Senior lacrosse out west has started. Sorry for all you folks out in Ontario. But junior lacrosse is raging <sighs> across the country. Uh, PLL starts this weekend. Like, it is a great time to be a lacrosse fan. It really is. And uh, you mentioned, obviously, what's going on in Ontario. Um you know, listen to the uh, Lax Class podcast this week. Jamie Dow kind of goes on and gives his side uh, of what's going on from an owner's perspective uh, in major series lacrosse. I'm sure we're going to hear more from Brampton's side. Um, I, I think it was. I, I think it was it was Jamie who said it. it's just man. Um, at the end of the day, it's the players that are really going to miss out on this. This is a huge, huge opportunity, a huge summer. A lot of guys uh, having to just play PLL. More roster spots are going to open up. Um, two years away from, like, you know, not having a true season. Like, this is yeah. such a big opportunity for for major series lacrosse. W, WLA is, like, you know, full swing. And then Ontario just can't really get out of their own way. And I won't get into too many details. I just want to say that this is super unfortunate for those guys that are looking to make the next step or the guys that are even playing in the NLL mm-hmm. are looking to, you know, move up the depth charts and, and get ready for camp. They're the guys that are really losing out. Yeah, of course. Am I upset that I'm not going to be able to watch any lacrosse right now? Of course, obviously. But it's those guys that that are the real losers, and hopefully they can get that done, um, so we can get summer ball back in Ontario in major series lacrosse. Uh, if not, uh, I wouldn't blame guys for starting to fly out west or play senior B because yeah, it, they can't it, be sitting on the sidelines for too long, man. No. They need to keep their 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 stick skills sharp. They got to stay in shape, and we know another team's coming in the NLL. Uh, more roster spots are going to open across the national lacrosse league yeah it's wild to think that yes they had the mso classic last summer and it was great but for a lot of those young guys that were even like in junior or haven't been playing a lot or weren't in the nll this year they're coming up on three years without you know real high level lacrosse and they're just it's 
it's crazy to see how much the guys responded this year in the NLL to finally being back in, in the competitive level of play that we had. But man, for those Ontario guys that won't have a senior season, it's just I, my heart breaks for them because there's nothing like playing with your friends and your family for four months of the summer, battling out, grinding it out, trying to win a man cup. And I don't know what they're going to do. You know, you talk about the the overall loss of things. We don't really know what it was, but there was that sort of quote unquote monumental TV deal that they had in place. And, and the talks of games being able to be shown all across Canada, like not having that is a huge loss. Yeah, so I, I actually stumbled across this quite organically, to be quite honest. And I know that there was a deal in place um, for every single MSL team to have their games broadcasted on their local station. So, right. um, you know, your TV uh, in, in Coburg, in Oakville, and in Peterborough, which I think they all three of them always had that anyways. Um, I'd assume Rogers for, for Brooklyn – and the list goes on and on. But when I heard that there was a national deal in place, I was kind of wondering what that was. And mm-hmm. I, I was getting you know ready to, to record um, some PLL games uh, this weekend. So I, I go into my Rogers, just uh, say, you know, Premier Lacrosse League and mm-hmm. the games that are on TSN come up. But they always show you suggested programs as well. And I saw major series lacrosse up there. So I was like, oh, the – it must be the Brooklyn Lacrosse Club game. No, a bunch of MSL games popped up and it was under the sports package. So if you get that ultimate sports package with Rogers here in Ontario, um, I think Kojiko has it as well. Um, you, that's where you get all the NHL games. You get all the NFL, yada, yada. It looked like that's what possibly could have been uh, included in the package. So you would get the local feed. Um, you could get from anywhere, basically. Right. And that's what it looked like. So you'd get, you know, Pete Dalladay and Scott Arnold broadcasting the the Lakers game. Uh, but I could watch it here in Pickering. Or you right. could watch it if you had that same Rogers sports package. So yeah. I'm obviously speculating. Yeah, but yeah, that's yeah. certainly what it looked like. I f- saw it with my two eyes on <laughs> Rogers cable. So maybe that's that national deal that they're yeah. talking about. And so you wouldn't get it for know. free. You wouldn't yeah. get it for free, but you would yeah. have access to, to possibly have all those games. Yeah, and I don't know if Rogers is a cable provider really out west. It's like Shaw and Bell usually out this way, so I don't know yeah. how that would have worked. But that is uh, quite interesting. Uh, speaking of Ontario lacrosse, the Founders is in Brampton. How the iHeads doing on the road to the Junior B Championships? I had uh, we we took a tough loss against the Green Gales uh, on Saturday, and boy, we not to make excuses, but we we are incredibly banged up. Uh, the beaches are banged up, so a couple of our guys are up there, but we're we're battling. Um, you know, uh, it'll be when this podcast drops. So tonight, another rematch against the Green Gales, basically for the division, or at okay. least to keep into uh, into that race. So. Right. Uh, Back-to-back-to-back games against the Green Gales. Um, Three games in a row? Yes, yes. It's it's the worst, but it's the absolute best. And uh, that's our obviously our divisional rival uh, over the last few years. Uh, It's become more intense when we knocked them out of the first round of the playoffs a couple years ago, the last time we played, uh, when they picked us to play us in the first round. Obviously, that has kind of added some fuel to the fire. They Um, picked you to play? 
Yeah, so I, I thought I, I explained this before, but um, I'm a bad in junior guy. B, it, it happens. Um, in junior B, so uh, because it's so spread out in Ontario, right. you have teams located from Kahnawake in um, you know Quebec, Aquasasne, uh, in Cornwall Island, all the way down. And this is just the east, mind mm-hmm. um, all the way to Halton Hills, Brampton. Like that is a very, very far, um, you know, like a very, very far distance between these two teams for playoffs. So what they decided to do is the top three teams. um, So the divisional winners got to choose who they play in the first round. So you could choose based on geography or maybe who you match up better with. Right. The first team, they go pick a team. The next team picks a team, third team picks a team. And then, the, the fourth team gets whatever team is left over. So, you know, Nepean, I believe they were in the first seed that year. They t- took Gloucester. Um, m- my mind uh, is escaping me as well. I mean, yeah. pardon me, it was two two years ago. So, <laughs> but the Green Gales thought, you know, they beat us throughout the season. There are some close games, but they also chose to play against us because it's close. They figured they'd get a good gate with our fans, our fam coming. Um, turns out a bit them in the ass pretty good as we, we beat them in the first round uh, for our first uh, playoff win in franchise history. So was it just a one gamer? Uh, no, it was a, a, a three of five. So, Oh yeah. Huge. So, so we, we won in four. Um, we won't talk about uh, uh, what happened the next round against Aquasasne when we went up to nothing oh. uh, and then went up to Aquasasne and lost three straight. Oh. Um but uh, yeah, the the wounds are still open. Uh, yeah. And actually, I'm I'm um, going to be missing the road trip back up to Aquasasne and Kanawake this this weekend with uh, the NRL. Kind of busy. Kind of busy. Yeah. So, but uh, yeah, a long winded answer. That's how the format for for Crazy. one season worked. Crazy. I don't know if that's going to be the case again this year. Yeah. Um, but I know a lot of teams are going to be a little more strategic when it comes to picking who they're going to play yeah. in the first um, round. Did you guys tie last week or this week or like we tied two, two it was a, yeah last week a three <laughs> three grinded out uh go both goalies were phenomenal oh both defenses were great the offense uh just in a mental pretzel all game long a little yeah. bit more of a open game the next game that we played but uh yeah it, that was old school lacrosse man uh, i couldn't wow. believe it and that that it was two two going into regulation actually. Uh, after regulation, so, yeah. Sorry, going into oh, after regulation, going into overtime. Two two after sixty minutes. Oh my! It god. It was wild. Both goalies were tremendous, man. Uh, unreal. Uh, out west. Uh, I was gonna say yeah. there was a big big matchup this week. I heard. Yeah, Big Island Derby versus uh, the Timmerman on Tuesday night. Uh, Unreal crowd, unreal game. Both teams were just on point. Like it was four three them after one, ten ten after two. It just it, it, in that second period, it was like both goalies were great, but also not so great at times. It was just one of those things where guys were just chucking junk at the net and it was going in. But mm-hmm. uh, then we outscored them five two in the third. We got uh, four transition goals out of our five in the third, and our, our guys just bear down and just it was a classic game between Victoria and Nimo and it never never matters who is the better team or what the records are it's just it's so heated because so 
here in Victoria, we have the Claremont Lacrosse Academy and the Royal Bay Academy. And most of those guys are Lower Island. So Saanich, Peninsula, Juan de Fuca box players, but then go to their high schools, obviously. But the way the draft works, we only get to automatically protect the Juan de Fuca guys, so the Royal Bay kids. So all the Saanich kids, Peninsula, Vicasquamo, Duncan, whatever, those guys are all free games. So there's a lot of kids from here that are on that Nanaimo team. So all those kids go to school together. And so there's just trash talk all day every day leading up to this game and you know you have a guy that you're in school with or practicing with the day before and now you're on opposite teams for 60 minutes of battle it uh it can bring out some underlying emotions with these young men so it was uh it was an unbelievable game um and uh, yeah we just kind of keep on rolling it's been it's been an awesome hot start for the season Road to Brampton continues, my man. It, it can it continues. It's uh, it's it's going to be interesting, man. Like I'll be honest. Like uh, in, in the East, obviously Brampton gets a, a an automatic bid, um, so their spot is in there. But the East, you could pick three, four teams that are in the mix. Yeah. Uh, in the West, it's probably you know top two, top three. I know Laura is a wagon. Windsor's getting a bunch of guys back, so. Um, the representative from Ontario this year, I, I think, uh, I mean, every year it's usually a pretty strong yeah. um, contingent, but I think this year, maybe because of the layoff and we didn't really know who was going to be good, who wasn't going to be good coming into the season. I honestly think there is five, six, maybe even seven teams that would be very, very uh, strong uh, representatives for Ontario. All right, before we get to uh, the main focus of the show, uh, some underlying NLL news. Um, current Vegas co-owner Dustin Johnson <laughs> just signed a $150 million signing bonus with Greg Norman's Saudi Golf League, the LIV. Um, is he just doing this so he can buy us all plane trips? He's thinking about us with this move. I was going to say how much of that goes directly to the rookie party fund uh, <laughs> for, for the desert dogs. Uh, I know Sean Williams is busy or is probably perked up when, yeah. when he saw that. No, and all honestly, like this is huge. And all, yeah. you know, you and I are obviously huge golf fans and um, this has been, a, you know, there's been a chatter for a long time about this DJ because he goes over to those, um, you know, the Asian and the European tours that are hosted, um, you know, over in that part of that, that, that part of the world. And he's always been kind of linked to this, but everyone always thought like, I don't know, even if there's that much money, I don't know if he's going to actually make the jump. Like there's too much at stake. And sure enough, there is a price tag uh, to risk it all. And he certainly <laughs> risked it all for the bag. RBC has already dropped him and Graham McDowell. Yeah. Like uh, there's going to be some punishment for it. The PGA is going to, you know, they're going to hand out their fines or whatever they'll do. But obviously, if the bag's big enough, I don't think they're going to care too, too, too much. No, uh, I just thought that was kind of funny when I saw that before we were prepping. Yeah. All right. Uh, thumbs up, thumbs down from game three. Uh, we heard it in the opening. Uh, Cooper Perkins had an absolutely phenomenal call of the goal. But the audacity of one Joey Capito 
to find a way to contort his body enough to throw the grossest junk, no look backhander I've ever seen. Uh, what an incredible goal and a timely goal. And it kind of just summed up that game for the Colorado Mammoth. They just found a way to win that game. That's exactly what they've done all season long. It seems like they just find ways to win. And that goal though, <laughs> like that's gotta be, that's when you take into account, the audacity, the stones, uh, the de- the degree of difficulty, and most importantly for me, the impact that it had on the game, the season, everything. That's got to be the goal of the year. It just yeah. has to be. Yeah. Just yeah. an unbelievable goal from from Joey Capito, a guy that has you know left fans with their jaws on the floor from some great goals and transitions before, but you know this is by far his craziest goal and couldn't have come at a better time. Uh, do you have a thumbs up? I do. And, you know, kind of, we've talked about this all playoffs long, but I think it, it can, it can be talked uh, all the way through, but what we're seeing from, from Eli McLaughlin, like mm-hmm. I think we've always known he's an elite talent, um, but he has put himself into the upper echelon of national lacrosse league players. 33 points in four games, 17 goals, <laughs> 16 assists in this postseason. He is averaging 8.25 goals per game this playoffs. He had 12 yeah. in game three. Like, he is on another level. I will put my hand up. Oh, when I saw Ryan Lee go move to the injured reserve. I was like, that's not good. Maybe he can be back. We heard some rumblings. Good chance he's not coming back. Then you see him in the knee brace uh, during that broadcast. And I said, this sucks because I I think this Colorado team has the makings of a championship contender. But, man, losing your MVP, losing your heartbeat of your offense, just don't think they're going to be able to do it. Well, the Liger has stepped up and has put this team on his back. Um he, what, like, and, and it's not just him, you know, scoring some goals here and there. Setting, it's he's. It seems like he's coming alive in the second half mm-hmm. and upping his game even more. Um, he is he is such a fun player to watch. Uh, and if you talk to guys around the league, uh, they have like so many people say how underrated he was coming into this season. I think finally now he's getting the respect that he deserves. Mm-hmm. And after this playoffs. I think the respect is only going to continue to grow. Uh, One kind of bonus thumbs up. Uh, The NLL West and the NHL West are just pure electric factory right now and is much must watch television. Yes. And we talked about how great of a time it is to be a lacrosse fan. It's a great time to be a sports fan with, with everything going on in the NBA and the NHL, but is eight six last night between the Oilers and the Abs? Like, it, it's it. This final leading into it is just going to be outstanding. But I just thought it was kind of cool to know like how closely similar the NLL West and the NHL West were. Just high scoring games, back and forth, intense playoff action. Uh, it's what fans want to see when it is playoff time. Uh, thumbs down. Uh, mine's pretty obvious. 
it wasn't from game three, but it is a realization that there are only three games left in the NLL season. It brings yep. a very somber hole in my heart. It stinks, man. It absolutely stinks. It's one of the best times of the year, but it's also one of the worst times of the year because, mm-hmm. you know, the NLL season's almost over. But, look, you know, raise your chin. We've got PLL starting this weekend. We've got summer ball all the way through. And before you know it, you and I are going to start putting our heads together and start thinking about the expansion draft Whoa. and the NLL yes. draft. So See, don't worry. You're such a bright light in my life. You know, you, it's positive vibes only, Teddy. EVO. Positive vibes only. Even I, though I did say it is positive vibes only, I have a thumbs down. Uh-oh. My thumbs down is to the two coaches in the PLL who thought it was a good idea. And this might be a freezing cold take once maybe news comes out later uh, of why these two players mm-hmm. found themselves um, on the player pool list. But Reed Bowering and Randy Stotts not making their respective teams absolutely blows my mind. That is just a load of baloney, fooey, huzzah, whatever. That should never happen in any world, ever. Like, I can understand maybe the Randy Stotts thing. He's just coming off a knee injury. Maybe it's not 100% healed. Maybe he's lost a step. But he is just too good of a player to not have him on your roster. And anybody that watched Reed Bowering this year and doesn't think that he can play in any position in the PLL has lost their mind. Flat out. It makes no sense. I completely agree with you. It it, it is truly mind-blowing because, yes, Reed Bowering played attack um at Drexel mm-hmm. at Drexel and he was a pretty damn good attackman yep. um sure is he going to be able to crack the water dogs as an attack probably not uh but have you seen him play box across yeah why would sure you could play short stick d-man you could play short stick mid. you could probably play offensive midfield I'm sure if you put a pole in his hand he could figure out and play some some LSM yeah. as well yeah the fact that you are as a coach not able to find a way to to put this guy in your roster, it, it, it blows my mind. And I think that both of them are crazy um, mm-hmm. because I think Randy Stotts is one of the best players on the planet. And I think Reed Bowering is one of the best overall players yeah. on the planet. And it, like I said, this could be a freezing cold take. We could find out that both of them have decided they're going to play summer ball this mm-hmm. year. And they're, you know, they had a change of heart. Um, and that's why they're not able to commit to the PLO. Hands up, that's on my, me. But until I hear that, this is an absolute travesty. Yeah, an yeah. absolute travesty that we cannot watch these guys play in the best outdoor uh, professional league in the world. If you want to get yourself a Reed Bowering Vancouver Warrior shirt, maybe a Randy Stotts Panther City shirt, sweater, hoodie, hat, whatever, head over to NLLshop.com and fanatics.ca where you can get all of the certified top-of-the-line NLL gear. All right, two great guests this week. Johnny Lintz of the Colorado Mammoth and Dane Smith of the Buffalo Bandits. Two guys who have been in this league quite a long time. Dane still looking for that first NLL championship. Lintz, has been there before. 
He's won it with the Rush organization when they are in Edmonton. This is going to be a battle for the ages between these two clubs. We go in-depth with Dane and John right here on the Off the Crossbar podcast. Joined now by Mammoth defender John Lintz, who's back home in Edmonton getting ready for game one. Lindsay, how are you, my man? I'm doing well. It's just a sunny and a 20 day here in Edmonton. Just uh, busy at the high school, so things are good. And uh, as this airs, it's uh, a couple hours before game two. Um, do we need to talk about game one of Oilers Avalanche? Uh, yeah, I mean, what a roller coaster that was. I, I got to be real careful. I, my checks are currently signed by Cronky Sports and Entertainment. <laughs> and, I'm a, and I'm a lifelong Oilers fan, so... yeah. Dabble, dabble carefully here. Yeah, I'll just say it was entertaining hockey with a lot of uh, talented guys and, and uh, very little defense. So it was uh, it's definitely fan-friendly hockey, that's for sure. You hope both teams have fun. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, all right, game one, Bandits Mammoth. You guys beat them earlier in the year. Do you guys take much stock in that game, or is that just kind of a reference point for some things maybe you guys can tweak as a unit? A lot of time. I mean, I think when you're playing a team like the the Bandits that have um, uh, such a you know uh, reputation coming in, uh, where you know a lot of few people feel like they're kind of the the uh, uh, you know best in the league kind of idea. Uh, I think we take a little bit of confidence out of having beaten them this year. But other than that, it's not a ton. I mean, playoffs is a different animal. Uh, I know they're going to be dialed and ready. And, uh, and certainly this presents the biggest challenge we've faced uh, so far. So um, we're going to have to be really prepared to try to beat them. Obviously, the, the series with San Diego was just a, an absolute gem. It was back and forth. It had a little bit of everything. How fun of a series was that to play in? Yeah, I mean, I loved it. I, I, I mean, playing lacrosse is fun. Uh, playing a series that competitive is uh, is the best. And and obviously with uh, San Diego, we have a little bit of a natural uh, rivalry or have had for a, for a few years. I mean, there's lots of guys on that roster that uh, you know are awesome guys off the floor, but you love to hate them as players. And so um, for all those reasons, I thought it was an, an awesome series to be part of. Um, and just you know. When you get ready, getting ready for a series, and you see your leading scorer go down in in practice the night before, you know the first game, you can't help in the back of your mind going like, "Oh, like here we go," like you know. And so to see our group kind of band together and uh, and do it the hard way um, was, I think, really special. I think it was uh, kind of one of the coolest uh, series I've been a part of. So um, you know, and aside from that, I'm just grateful to be playing at this level across at the age I am. Man, I you know, you would ask me five years ago if I would have been here playing for the mammoth and playing in, in games like this that matter and having a big role, I would have said no chance. Uh, so I'm, I'm, uh, I'm enjoying every moment that I possibly can while I'm out there, if that makes sense. It does. And I think we've asked this question to, to guys many times, especially this year, but did the COVID break hurt or help you? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, it was definitely a struggle. I think, uh, you know, trying to keep yourself in shape and engaged and involved in the game when you have nothing going on, I think was is tough. I think, um, you know, for, for me, like my circumstances personally are a little bit unique, right? Like I had missed uh, almost two full years with a with a groin injury that, that doctors weren't sure how to solve. And I had started coaching for a while during that. And then I came back and then then was the COVID break again, right? So I've kind of 
you know, I had a weird five years where I didn't play very much lacrosse, at least at the NLL level. Um, so, the, I mean, the, the short answer is it probably helped because it gave me time to, to rest up a lot of those nagging injuries that were, uh, were kicking around. But um, I think, like everybody, uh, I had my emotional and psychological struggles through COVID, right? It's like, I don't like being cooped up at home. I like being busy and I like being active. So, um, you know, getting through that, I think, was a positive thing, being back playing. Is this the best version of John Lentz that we're seeing right now? Yeah, honestly, I think so. And I think it's I'm in a situation that I'm really comfortable with, with, with really strong coaching and a really good teammates. I mean, um, you know, I'd be lying to you if I said that part of the interesting me going back to Colorado a couple different times wasn't, you know, having Dylan Ward between the pipes for one thing. You know, he, he tends to clean up a lot of defensive mistakes and make guys like me look better. Um, we have a system that I think really complements my style of lacrosse. Like I'm, you know, at my roots from when I was really young, I like to hit guys. I like to be physical. I like to, uh, be engaged in the game that way. And, and this system that we play allows me to do a lot of that. Um, and then I just, uh, I trust our team and I, I really uh, have bought into what we have going on there. So I think all those things. As, as well as, uh, as I think I'm a little bit more mature than I was when I was younger in terms of preparing for games and things like that, um, has allowed me to have success. So, yeah, and, and, I, and similar to what we talked about before, I'm just, I think even just appreciating, like being at practice, being at shoot around, um, you know, flights, like being around my teammates before games, me appreciating all that stuff has made me better on the floor. So, uh, you know, it's a lot of factors, but I think, yeah, I think I'm playing good lacrosse, so I'm confident in what I'm doing. What did you learn in that half a season season coaching for Vancouver uh, that you can take into your playing days now? Uh, well, playing days, I think one thing I learned was like, be really careful what you sign up for. But, <laughs> <laughs> you know, if I'm being brutally honest with you, um, yeah, uh, in terms of like my playing uh uh, like like you know, your preparation I, and things like that, because obviously it's different being a coach and being a player. Yeah, and I I was always like a, uh, you know I've coached uh, at least two sports a year every year since I've been like sixteen or seventeen. So like coaching in some ways above playing has been always been a passion of mine. Like I'll always be a coach. I'll always I will be involved in whether it's lacrosse or other sports that way. Um, so that'll never change in terms of getting it, uh, getting me ready to be prepared. I think one of the things that it taught me is like, um, different guys, uh, need to be prepared different ways and spoken to different ways and approached different ways. And so me as a teammate now, I've taken a lot of that into, you know, my role in some ways in the mammoth that has a lot to do with kind of mentoring younger guys and talking to younger guys and making sure they're engaged. And I think some of those habits, uh, that have, that have pulled from coaching, uh, are definitely useful in that regard. I mean, I uh, and I'm really lucky to have uh, Warren Jeffries as my defensive partner for most of the time in Colorado, and we've developed a really good working relationship together. And I think I've taken some of that uh, coaching into into our relationship, and it's helped me a lot. So, is he underrated? Oh, absolutely. It's it's one of those things, man. And as a defender, like as a especially as a stay at home defender, that's never been a big transition guy. I sometimes will sit at home and get frustrated about the like. Uh, you know, here's this D guy that got seven loose balls last game. And Warren Jeffrey will get three, but he'll shut down the best player on the other team and no one will talk about him, right? And I, and I so I think that uh, stat, statistics and analytics are developing lacrosse, and I think they're really important. 
But I think sometimes you also have to just the eye test, like go look at, at a, uh, when a team is coming out of a TV timeout, which five guys are on the floor and which guys go, going out there and covering, you know, the Curtis Dixon or the, or the, you know, Dane Smith's of the world. And that'll give you a pretty good indication of, of who the coaches believe are the best defenders. And for us, a lot of times Warren Jeffrey is that guy. So yeah, he's, he's dominant, man. He's a really good, a good player. Um, when you were on the floor, I can't remember if you were on the floor or on the bench when Joey Capito scored that goal uh, in San Diego in game three. What was your reaction? Yeah, yeah, I was on the floor. I was on the far end, uh, wandering around, doing nothing. And uh, and he scored. I literally, my arms just went in the air. I ran all the way down there. I, uh, I Man, there's a photo of that goal where he's getting hit. And it like you, there is not an amount of money that I would bet that he would have scored at the end of that play if you just look at the photo. And so... That's just one of those things, man, when you have confidence like Joey does, which is a level of confidence that not a lot of us have, that you can uh, you can pull off stuff like that. So pretty special moment for us. Um, obviously, going into game one, there's going to be a lot of communication about how you guys match up with their defense. What's the message from, you know, Deco, Dan and McBride and how he wants you guys to play? Yeah, I don't think we're going to change a lot in terms of the way that we play. I mean, we try to dictate by being physical and, and by... Um, you know, allowing shots from areas where we're comfortable and we, we think that Wardle's going to have success uh, saving them. Uh, the big change for us, if it's a change, is that Buffalo, I think, uh, above the two offenses that we just faced in San Diego and Calgary, is a little bit more balanced. Like, we feel like they're kind of equal in the challenges they present left side, right side. And so uh, it's going to kind of change the approach for us in terms of where we can help and when and how. Um, so we're going to have some conversations and watch some film and things like that this week and, and kind of decide on a game plan. But, you know, for us, not much changes. Our, our recipe for success is we're kind of a lunch bucket group. Like we have to outwork teams and out physical them. And, and if we do that, we can be successful. Obviously, this is kind of a, a moot question or a rhetorical question, but what kind of problems does the depth of the bandits cause you guys? Yeah, I just think like our um, our system is a, is uh, you know at times you can be kind of uh, stuck playing by yourself or playing in in two man games without a ton of help. And when we feel like we can uh, you know lean one way or lean the other, it allows us to bring that help across the floor, obviously. And so the balance of, of a team like this that has dangerous threats and you know you, when you see a Josh Byrne standing on one side of the floor and a Dane Smith on the other, it, it makes it difficult to do that uh, exact thing. But, uh, you know, I still think there's a lot of avenues for us to have success against this team. And I know we're going to talk about those in our, in our uh, team meetings coming up here. But, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's a challenge that I'm excited to attack. You know, like I... One of my very first D coaches, one of the most valuable things he ever taught me was, was you have to be excited about covering the best players on the other team. Like the best you guys want to cover the best players on the other team. And, uh, and for us, we're really excited to play against what we think is the, um, you know, one of the best offenses in the league. So we're, we're ready for the challenge. Uh, conversely, you guys have finally got an offense that can compare with some of the top offenses in the league. For years, it's just been the defense holding the fort. Just got to keep them to nine, hope your offense scores 10. Now your offense is putting up 15, 16 goals. What's it like to, to go up against your offense in practice every week? Yeah, it's wild. I mean, there's there's we started off the year where, uh, you know, I was out there covering as a lefty. I was out there covering Zed Williams and Tyler Digby. And I, it was like playing against a, like a defensive line of football. Like those two guys just move bodies uh, like no one I'd ever played against. And uh, 
And obviously our, our lineup has changed throughout the year. Um, I just think the ability to, to share the ball and some of the unique uh, um, characteristics of some of our players has really been taken advantage of by, uh, by Jason Bishop, and who's our offensive coordinator. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously you, you kind of hope for uh, guys to perform the way they have. Like we had hoped, I think, when we made that trade for Zed Williams uh, to be as dominant as he has at times. And not always statistically, but like loose balls, like ability to rag, like taking on double teams, um, you know, that sort of thing. I think we hoped that Connor Robinson would have the sort of gear that he's had, uh, but his ability to shoot the ball on the run and and uh, and shoot it from distance has been huge for our offense. Um, so you kind of add in all those those factors. Practicing against them is is challenging, but that's. You know, anytime you're on a successful team, you want to play against a really good offense or practice against a really good offense is going to make you better. So uh, we feel like that's uh, been the case for us in our defense. It's two legendary coaches going head to head and Tavares and Coyle. What do you like play- about playing for Pat Coyle? Yeah, um, I mean, Pat is someone that I respect. I mean, I've signed two one years back with Colorado in a row uh, because I really have a lot of respect for Pat and I enjoy playing for him. And and I think the thing, uh, and this is not dissimilar from what any player on other teams will tell you, is like he's a pretty straight shooter. Like if you, he'll give you a plan. And if you're following the plan, you know, he'll leave you alone. And if you're not following the plan, he'll let you know about it. And for a guy like me, that's, that's pretty like uh, black and white. Yeah, you know, give, you give me a job to do and, and say, here, go do it. I'll understand if you're hard on me because I'm not doing the job. I completely get that. But as long as you kind of, you know, uh, it's it's uh, he's true to his word and he's he's straightforward. So um, that you take that part. And, and uh, you know, I've learned a ton as a defender from Patty, just X's and O's. He uh, in Colorado, we play a very different system from ones that I had played uh, in Edmonton and Sask for a long time. And so I learned, I learned a lot from him as well. Um, so for those reasons, I think he's, a, he's an excellent coach. You're one of the few guys on the Mammoth roster with championship finals experience. What does that bring for you into a game like this here in game one? Yeah, I think the experience of going through a championship, um, there's a few things that, uh, that I'm going to try to communicate to my teammates. I mean, number one is, is a thing that I've already talked about, which is just enjoying the experience. I think you have to appreciate being there and appreciate even things like practice and like shoot around and like the meetings, enjoy the whole, uh, you know, ability to be playing lacrosse in June with your teammates. I think that part is, uh, really special. Um, and then the other part that I think our team is already really strong in this area is just the the idea that the games are long, you know, and you, there's going to be runs and you just kind of have to stay the course um, because it's easy to get swept up in the momentum and the crowds and the fact that it's a big game and all that sort of stuff. Um, but, I mean, you, you've watched our team through the playoffs. I think that's, uh, you know, if not our strongest suit, it's one of them is the ability to just keep pushing forward even when facing adversity. So, um, you know, I don't have a ton of concerns that way. One of the best parts about this series is it's two elite fan bases as well in Banditland and the Loud House in Colorado. Obviously, game one in Banditland is going to be special for everybody. But do those environments help you take your game to another level? Do you do you vibe off that? Yeah, I, I love playing in front of the crowds, right? Like, and I I've, I think I've always been that way. But I, I think as, I, as you get older, um, I think once in a while, and I got to be careful how I say this, but 
like, you know, you're playing game seven of the regular season and you're playing in front of a small crowd. Sometimes it's tough to get up for those games, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas you show up and, and then there's that buzz in the building on a Saturday night and you can already see a few thousand people in the stands getting ready. I mean, that's, you know, why else are we doing this, right? With all the travel and the training and that sort of stuff. Uh, those are the moments you live for. So, uh, you know, I've, I've played it, had the pleasure of playing in Buffalo a couple of times. And I love, you know, that how rabid that fan base is and how about how they get after you, you know, yelling at you in the penalty boxes and stuff like that. And then obviously our uh, fan base in, in Colorado is second to none. You know, we had a pile of fans down in San Diego who drove mm-hmm. down and traveled, which is to me is wild, but um, also makes it uh, one of the best parts about playing for, for the uh, Mammoths. You've been around this team for, for a few years now. Uh, is this the best version of the Mammoth? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. And that's a big reason why I signed back here this year. I said on the phone to Pat when I signed back, I said, I believe that we have a chance to go to a championship and that's why I wanted to be back here. And, you know, there's times this year where the Western Conference is so close and there's five teams within a game and you're like, I don't know if I, if I was right about that. But I mean, this is um, uh, seeing what we've been able to do in the playoffs with the depth that we have, even losing a guy like Ryan Lee, I think has been kind of a, uh, uh, confirmation that that you know I'm, I'm in the right spot and I'm, I'm excited about our opportunity here just 48 hours for the championship game Linser, appreciate your time my man uh go oilers good luck in the finals and uh, we'll catch up soon brother go oilers and abs thanks for the chat teddy we'll talk to you soon all right so we're gonna break things up that was john lintz and he talked about patty enjoying the moment and enjoy everything that leads up to this series and like i mentioned he's been there before He's been through the grind and all of the hubble that goes along with media and the attention for tickets and all those things that go around and playing a championship game. But his message to all those guys on his roster is just enjoy the moment. Only he and Tyler Carlson have been to an NLL finals. And I think that is a very strong message to a young team that's stepping into enemy territory for game one. I think it obviously anytime you can have leadership um, experience, you're going to take it. And that's exactly what they have with those two guys. Uh, They've been in there before they know what it takes. Um, But that also is a, you know, a bad thing that you don't have that experience. You don't have the other guys that, you know, that know, um, you know, what it's like to be in a finals, you know, that, that pain of, of losing in a finals. But with that being said, those guys in that locker room also not too many of them have been around this organization. Like there's a lot of turnover here. Mm -hmm. Uh, So they don't know the pains of choking or not making it to the final year after year. Sure. There's a few guys that have felt that before, but it's, it's almost refreshing knowing that these guys are so young in their career. They're already here. Um, And that's kind of what we hear from Dane Smith on the flip side. He's been there so many times. His first time he went there, he felt like, oh, this is going to be easy. I'm always going to be in the finals. And that's not the case. So it's a little bit of a catch-22 for the Mammoth that, yeah, they're they're young. They don't have the experience. But at the same time, they're young and they don't know any better. The Bandits have had a week off. Sit back, relax, watch some game film, and rest up. But Dane Smith and his group know that there's still a lot of work to be done. Joined now by Dane Smith of the Buffalo Bandits. Dane, how are you, my man? I'm good. How are you? Uh, we are fantastic. Um, I want to start um, by talking about how the fact that you've kind of 
become a Buffalo white or a Buffaloian? What, what are Buffalo locals called? Uh, <laughs> a great question. I have no idea. But, uh... <laughs> Patty, do you know? It's a Buffalo, Buffalonian, I believe. Buffalonian. You become a resident Buffalonian. Um, what's it like being a part of that community that is so tightly wrapped up with the sports community and everything that's been going on? But what's it been like being a part of that community? I mean, it means the world to me. Uh, they've uh, supported me throughout my 10 years of my career. And uh, I'm just looking to kind of give back um, through the ups and downs, um, through the tough times and the good times. Um, Buffalo's always had my back. So it's important for me to kind of give back when the time is needed. And obviously, I'd love to win a championship. I've been in this league for nine to 10 years and uh, came up short twice. And it's uh, it's crazy to kind of see um, that you can be in this league for that long and not even kind of win a championship. You see it with Brody Merrill, one of the best to ever play it. Um, I'm hoping to kind of change that. Uh, you know, we, we go back to the unfortunate events of a few weeks ago and how that community rallied. Um, what did it mean to you to see the community rally ar- around something so tragic? It, it meant the world to me. Um, obviously, um, uh, being a black athlete in a primarily white sport, it, it's been tough because, um, again, it, it was growing up was a little bit harder for me um from for the most part and it's it's for me it's one of those things where i want to change it for the next generation i don't want my kids to kind of grow up the way i kind of grew up and um it starts with all of us uh the great thing is obviously the lacrosse community is so tight and everybody around has supported me throughout this process and uh, it's going to take more than that and i know a lot of people through not not even in the lacrosse community supported me through this so it's it's awesome to kind of see and uh, we're taking that next step but there's still a lot of ways to go obviously the the, the formation of the black lacrosse alliance is going to be huge for the next generation um to be a part of that has to be pretty special knowing you know that maybe when you were growing up you didn't have those role models or people to look up to or people you could reach out to and have a face to face or through a phone conversation what is the Black Lacrosse Alliance and yourself really doing to help the next Dane Smiths be more welcomed when they when they're ready? It's very important. It's it's a really cool thing that they kind of thought of, thought about uh, not too long ago, and it's one of those things where um, kids can kind of come to us and be like, "Okay, this is a problem. This is what happened," and we can talk amongst each other and be like, "Okay, we went through what you guys went through. Um, how can we fix it?" Um, and all these issues, and it, it's really cool to kind of. Um, hear their stories and hear how similar they were and kind of come together as a group and uh, trying to change it for the next generation. All right, let's focus uh, on the season and everything that went on. I want to go back to the last game. Did it piss you off uh, that you didn't break that record and reset it? Uh, No, not really. I mean, I felt like it was um, a lot of pressure on me. Um, It was one of those things where, a lot of my teammates were talking about it. A lot of people around the lacrosse world were talking about it. Yeah. Um, my family, my friends, everybody was. And it was one of those things that it just kind of bothered me more than anything. And it was one of those things that I'm gl- I'm honestly glad it didn't happen, to be honest. Like, um, everybody talked about it so much. And my teammates talked about it so much that they were trying to kind of make things happen. And at the end of the day, I, I wanted to win that game more than anything. And I'm, I'm pissed off at myself more than anything that um, – I was trying so hard to kind of make it happen when I didn't let it come to me. 
And it's one of those things that I, I've learned from it. And I think it's made me play better through the playoff because now I don't even have to, the weights off my shoulder and I can forget about it. And again, I, I don't really care about those records. I've already had, uh, broken them in 2016 and one of those things is my next step and you see all the greatest players in every sport is winning a championship I'm not going to be known unless I win a championship so uh, that's my next goal and again those, those records are cool and they've been done and all that stuff but at the end of the day I the what matters most to me is winning a championship did JT help you with uh, you know dealing with those pressures because we all know he's pretty familiar when it comes to records yeah, no, he called me after, directly after the, uh, not directly after the game. Char, uh, Steve Dietrich called me right after the game. We talked a little bit um, just to check to make sure I was okay and stuff, obviously. Um, and then um, JT called me the next day and was like, hey, uh, I went through all those things uh, growing up as well. And it's it's tough, obviously. He's like, the good thing is you already had the record, so it doesn't really matter. I'm like, yeah, you're, you're right. So um, it's it's one of those things that like we can kind of relate to each other it's kind of crazy to think that I'm kind of um, in those conversations. Um, but um, that being said, again, um, it doesn't really matter to me. And I think with that be happening, um, the last game of the year, it helped me play better in the playoffs. I, I really do think so because um, I wanted to play harder. I wanted to change my game a little bit. And I wanted to um, – I didn't have to think about those records. Before we dive into the, the playoffs, I wanted to ask, because I think there was a lot of chatter. Obviously, everyone knew how good this offense could be. And you look at the names and you look at all the talent, but it was managing the egos. And even the term, you know, the saying, there's only one ball out there was thrown out a lot. Clearly, you guys have silenced all the doubters and have proven that this offense can be sustainable. Was there ever a discussion at the start of the year about the buy-in or did you just look around the room and see how much talent there was and you knew the potential, what could be of this group? Yeah. Uh, JT talked about it a little bit uh, at the beginning of the year. Um, that being said, it just kind of clicked right away. It was weird. It, um, obviously having uh, myself, Josh Cloutier and Frazier, um, winning the championship in the PLL together as a unit kind of type thing. Uh, we've had that connection. And then Steve Dietrich bringing in um, Buchanan, um, obviously McCulley who's not playing, but he's an unbelievable talent. Um, Connor Fields and Dehoga. Like it, it's crazy to think about uh, how well our offense is kind of uh, fit in. Like you said, it's, it's one of those things that we all work hard for each other. Uh, we all know we're going to get looks throughout the game and we all want to work that much harder because if the is trying to get me open, I want to get him open. And it's one of those, it's contagious. And obviously you see Buchanan who we've never had a player like that, a veteran player like that, go get a loose ball for us. We want to put the ball in the back of the net for him, or we want to set him up or uh, vice versa. And nobody's selfish. It's a weird dynamic um, that I've never been a part of a group this unselfish and we all want to work for each other. We have moments obviously during the game that sometimes the ball gets, I wouldn't say stuck in our uh, stick by any means. I think it's just uh, we're like settling for shots that we can get later in the clock. But that being said, we're, we, we know our offense is so dynamic that we're going to get our looks a couple times a game, and it's fun to be a part of. Uh, how fun is it with that offense when you guys are rolling and then add in the Buffalo Bandits fans? That That is just one of the craziest – has to be one of the crazy experiences. When you guys are rolling – and the fans are going and 
and Fraser's, you know, pumping up the crowd and, and, and everybody's kind of just doing their part. What's that feeling like when just everything is on for you guys? It's incredible. And, and you just said it, I, I think the more I thought about it, uh, down our stretch, um, uh, myself, I was struggling a little bit, but also uh, Chase Frazier was struggling a little bit. And I was like, okay, like what, what's kind of going on with our offense? And it's one of those things where I honestly think that when Chase Frazier is on his game and he's scoring goals, he's very cocky and everybody <laughs> sees it around the league. And he and his swagger kind of like comes off and it, it gets our offense going. It's the weirdest thing. Like, and I think, I honestly think that's, that's what gets the boys going. Like it's, it's, it's crazy to think about like, because uh, for the most part, we're like looking at it being like, after the games, we're like, Oh my God, like Chase, like why are you celebrating like that? Why are you doing that? Like to the, to the fans, why are you, yeah. why are you doing that to the other team's bench? And, but you, you watch it and you watch his timely goals and when he scores and how he gets the fans that much pumped and gets us going. And I think that's, that's a lot to credit to Chase. We, uh, we asked Steve Priol last week um, what it was like playing against your offense. What's it like playing against your defense and Matt Vince? Because obviously one of the top units in the entire league. Yeah, it's, uh, our defense is very underrated. I feel like all year they've talked about our offense and uh, they never got credit. And I think our defense is very good. And I think it helps um, us going against them in practice every week and then also shooting on Matt like he's the best to ever do it so it's uh it's exciting it's a, always a challenge and we always have competitions in that aspect so it's like a just a great core group and I feel like our defense some even defensive players don't get as much credit as they should because they're not a big name player and stuff like that but we have a lot of guys that kind of go under the radar and they just want to get the job done and I think that's what makes us um the team we are well, building off that, I think everyone, when they hear the Buffalo Bandits, they just think of the high-flying ability that you guys have. But you've proven almost on a weekly basis, even in this playoffs, that you guys can find ways to win in high-scoring games, low-scoring games. You can score in transition. You can eliminate transition. How much confidence does that give you guys in a game knowing that you can survive in pretty much any game imaginable? Yeah, it's exciting. I, obviously, if we play our game, we we have a great chance of winning. Um, I think a lot of teams will say the same, but I I truly mean that. I think our biggest uh, when we when we win games, it's because of the little things. It's the loose ball battles. It's a transition. Honestly, when we score transition, our team um, defensively scores transition. It gets us as an offense going. We're like, oh my god, like thank God a weight is off our shoulder. Let's, let's get that next one kind of thing. And then also it's a huge thing when we cut off transition, if we limit teams to um, not scoring transition, I know Albany was, that was a big test for us to cut off their transition. I know Toronto um, beat us in the last regular season. It was a close game, but they scored a few transition goals. And I, we knew we needed to limit that um, the same thing's going to be happen to Colorado. If we can limit their transition, we know we're going to, be able to score goals and we know we're going to be able to stop goals. And at the end of the day, it's going to come to those little things. I noticed, and I've noticed a few times that, you know, dating back to your rookie season, when Troy Cordingly had you playing out the back door, you're being used a little bit on, on short mans and, and special situations so that you can start that transition. How fun and, and how cool is it that JT has the faith in you to still put you out in all those special situations and allow you to play your game. It's exciting. I honestly, 
I love penalty kill. I, I take pride in it. It's one of those, I think it's, it's more fun to power play. I really do. It's one of those things where you're, you're out on the penalty kill and you have offensive guys on their power play being like, Oh, who's going to cover Dane when he sprint up the floor. And I just laugh because I'm like, <laughs> you guys are more focused on what I'm going to be doing rather than your power play. And I think it definitely helps in that aspect. If they're not scoring, I'm going up the floor. And um, I, I love being, a, being able to kind of play both ways. Um, I take pride in it. And one of those things, especially um, when they do put me out the back door, um, just defensively, I, I don't want to get beat. I, I, at the beginning of the year, I was kind of cheating myself a little bit and me and JT kind of had a talk and he was like, Dane, like you're going to get those opportunities, whether you play bad defense or you play good defense. So just kind of stick to the game plan. And I realized that again, it, I don't want anybody beating me. Like I know a lot of teams are going to come after me on defense, but I feel comfortable back there. And there's a reason I'm back there and there's a reason that they kind of believe in me. And if I can just bear down, I'm going to get those opportunities for us transitionally. You already mentioned the name Kyle Buchanan, and I think it's 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 become very apparent how important he is to the offense with all the little things, like you mentioned, the loose balls, um, just battling, setting huge picks despite how you know undersized he is. But in some of our discussions we've had in our pregame chats leading up to some of the games, you've mentioned how important he is in that locker room and, and how he came to this team. Yeah, it's it's nice being close to home. Uh, but he wanted to win a championship and he believed this group could do it. Yeah. He's, he's one of those water bugs that you hate to play against and you love having on the team. Sometimes I'm like, even offensively, when I have that ball, he's just like, you have to be paying attention to him all times because he's open, like split second, he just sprinted through and he's always getting like second opportunities for us and stuff like that. Um, it's funny. He, we, we talked about it at the beginning of the year. He's like, if you shoot the ball, I'm going to get the ball back to you. All right. Just, just be ready for the ball back to me. And it's funny how often it happens. And uh, he brings so much energy to our group and being a, an older guy like that and bringing that energy guys are like, Oh my God, why can't I, why shouldn't I be able to do that kind of thing? And uh, we, we never had that before offensively, or even though that leadership, we never had that. So it's one of those things that he brings a lot of things that guy it goes un- unnoticed. And uh, obviously against that Toronto game, when he scored that one goal that just worked harder than anybody else um, that got us going for sure. Well, we should probably talk about the big game and, and the series coming up the NLL finals this week. It all gets going this weekend down in bandit land and the Colorado mammoth, they're going to roll into town and, and they're a little bit of a different team than what we've seen in the past with the mammoth. Obviously they still have a great defense, um, they have a great goaltender in Dylan Ward, but their offense uh, has exploded this year. What kind of problems, though, defensively do they uh, pose for your guys' offense? They're a type of defense that likes to uh, play hard and play tough. And we've ran into those uh, those defenses quite a bit, especially against Toronto. They, they try to out-tough us and try to scare us. And I think we're going to f- uh, find that with Colorado. They're going to try to play tougher than us. At the end of the day, it's uh, doing those little things and um, not settling for what they kind of dictate to us. So um, I think they're a type of defense that just likes to pack it in, um, which we're not used to kind of. A lot of Eastern teams like to pressure a little bit more. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's going to be a little bit different of an adjustment. Uh, Dylan Ward obviously likes to step out quite a bit, and he's very good at blocking shots. So um, if we can kind of get to the middle of the floor and not settle for those outside shots, I think we'll be okay. It's just going to be a it's going to be a battle at the end of the day. 
they are one of the only teams that were able to pick up a win. It was in Colorado, but uh, it was kind of during that little stretch and it was only two games, but where you guys dropped a couple of games. Uh, what did you guys learn about the group during that little skid near the end of the year heading into the postseason? I think it brought us closer. Um, it was four, four games in eight days um, when we played Colorado. Um, the It was our last game of the year. Uh, they're a great team. Uh, give them credit, obviously. Um, it's one of those things. I'm, I'm glad we kind of uh, get to play them because we, we are familiar with them a little bit to an extent um, where we didn't we never saw San Diego before. But that being said, I think it's going to be a close game. Um, it's one of those things that uh, down the stretch, you, <laughs> we knew we weren't going to have a perfect record. Um, everybody was talking about how well we were playing and, and then uh, obviously Toronto beat us. And then there was like, we we're kind of getting close to the next best record uh, the NLs have seen whatever like that. But at the end of the day, you need, you need to lose and you need to lose at the right times and you need to start winning at the right times as well. And I think, we kind of did that. Um, that last game that we lost to Toronto was huge for us because we needed to win that next one. It was momentum kind of going in and um, we're just different this year. Um, when we are winning uh, games that throughout the year, we didn't think we were the best team in the, in the league. We just went about our business. Um, where in previous years where we had the similar records or we were on rolls 2016 and 2019 um, when we won, it was, it was the best thing in the world. When we lost this year, it felt like it wasn't the end of the world. We knew where we went wrong. And even when we won by tight games, like overtime games, we're like, we felt like there are losses and we took it serious. And I think that's the difference with our team this year. How important is a, is a quick start going to be in game one for you guys? It's incredible for both teams, obviously. Um, we grinded all year to get home field advantage throughout this year, uh, the playoffs. And I think you need to take advantage of winning at home. And obviously it's an advantage playing in Buffalo because the fans, the fan base is incredible. Um, so I think obviously a fast start is going to be uh, pretty big for us. Um, again, uh, we earned to get home field advantage um, for the first game and we, we definitely have to take advantage of it. Uh, 2016, you mentioned it 2019 against Calgary now 2022, um, do those losses still sit with you? Oh, most definitely. Um, it's crazy because uh, I've obviously been in the playoffs twice, um, 2016 and 2019. We haven't won a game, um, and that definitely sits with me. Um, it's one of those things that every game, I we lost our second game in overtime both games. Um, I believe, yeah, I believe if the Saskatchewan was in overtime, it's with three seconds. Left, it was right at the end, yeah. Yeah. A lot of one goal games, both of them. So it was just, um, I think we're a different team from 2019. I think the best thing that could have happened to us was that loss in 2019. When we beat Toronto um, in the Eastern Finals in 2019, we thought we won the, the NLL Cup. And I think everybody thought that. And teams were talking about it, people were talking about it. And I think the mentality going into this year is nothing like, like we're, we know. Colorado's as good as anybody. We know that we have to earn it. We can't, it's not going to be given to us. And I think, I honestly believe that 2019 was a wake up call for us. We are uh, older, we understand it more, and I think we're hungrier. Uh, you are unofficially, I don't have full stats in this, but on, on verge of being the first guy to win a man cup, an NLL title, and a PLL title. Um, obviously, that NLL title is, is the one that's kind of missing. 
what's it going to mean to Dane Smith in his career if he can finally put a cap on this? I I honestly will say this, and I, I've told everybody it would mean everything to me. It's the most important thing to me. Um, yes, the Man Cup is a huge achievement. Um, yes, the PLL Championship is a huge achievement. But my end goal, I've been playing box across my whole life. I've been looking up to so many people, and the NLL is the one I want the most. And, um, again, we, we need two more games to kind of do so. Um, but uh, I think I, I learned uh, the best thing that could have happened as well, and I talked to Vino about it, was he was very happy that when we won the PLL championship because we had six guys that won it, and winning is contagious. And I think it, you, you learn how to um, kind of what, you, what it has to take to kind of win. And growing up in Kitchener, Ontario, obviously there wasn't much winning uh, growing up. And yes, I've won some worlds indoors for Team Canada and stuff like that. But um, winning a championship in Buffalo would mean the world to me. Dane, we always appreciate your time, man. You're doing such incredible things in the community uh, down there in Buffalo. Keep that up. And I know the Black Lacrosse Alliance and everybody surrounding it loves the work you're doing. Good luck on Saturday, my man. Uh, Bandit Land is going to be absolutely rock and roll. I'll be watching up here in Canada on TSN. Thanks for your time, brother, and good luck. Thank you. Who are you guys cheering for? I'm not allowed to say it. I'm impartial. <laughs> I, know, I, impartiality. I, know you're, I know you're a Western guy, so I, that's okay. You have some fuel for the fire. That's all right. We, we like it. We like it. Love uh, it. Appreciate you, my man. Be safe and uh, good luck this weekend, pal. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good one. You mentioned it, Patty. Uh, Dane's been there before, but also 11 of his other teammates right now were on that 2019 Bandits team that lost the last championship the NLL had to the Calgary Roughnecks in Calgary, game two, when Reese Dutch scored that winner. That pill of bitterness still sits in their mouth. And I have a feeling that that will probably be the overlying advantage that helps the Bandits in this series. I, I totally agree. I think you heard Dane say it, and it's so interesting to hear him say it, that that might have been the best thing for this group. And you would think, really? Like losing a champ? Wouldn't the best thing for the group be winning? But he felt like it, it kind of made them appreciate getting there more and realizing that it's not going to be handed to you. He said there was a huge difference between last group in, in, in 2019 and the group now that they have. The group now, they're, they're confident. Uh, they know what it takes, whereas the group before was maybe a little cocky. And they thought they deserve to be there. We should be there. Whereas the group now knows they should be there, but they've battled to be there. They, they realize that it's not every year they're going to just walk into the NLL finals. So I think having that pain, the sting, be in the back of their minds, um, knowing that um, they were that close last time, uh, I think that's only going to help them propel to possibly putting up a, a banner uh, in first or sorry, Key Bake Center uh, for the first time in a long time. And it's crazy to think that, Teddy, because when you talk about the Buffalo Bandits, you talk about how storied they are and about uh, the history and with that team and, and with the franchise. But it has been a while uh, since Buffalo has won a championship. Uh, game one goes Saturday from Key Bank. TSN up here in Canada, ESPN in the United States. It'll be yourself. 
Mr. John Abbott and Ashley docking with the call. Uh, but these two teams did meet once in the regular season back on April 2nd, 2022. Uh, the Mammoth winning 15-14. Connor Robinson scores the game winner with a minute left in overtime. If you want to go back and watch that game, um, if you're in Canada, you can go to the NLL Facebook page uh, and find it there in their video forms. Obviously, all those in the U.S., I believe, can find it in the ESPN archives. But this will be a true test, not just game, not just this whole series, but game one will be a mm-hmm. true test for that Colorado defense, Patty, that prides themselves on being the best of the best. And I, I think that's one thing that maybe we as media – maybe got carried away with when it comes to this mammoth team, just because we're so used to over the years talking about, man, this, this Colorado defense and, and Dylan Ward, they are so good. They could only get a little bit of run support. What a team this team could be. And now that they have the offense, everyone this season, all they were talking about was Lee Robinson, Zed Williams, um, all the offensive weapons that they had. And, the goaltending and the defense kind of got forgotten in the in the shadows, and I don't think they care because mm-hmm. they just go about their business uh, and, and play that hard nosed style of D that likes to push the ball up the floor, block shots, and give up the shots that Dylan Ward wants to see. And when they do break down, Dylan Ward's going to be there for those acrobatic saves, um, and it's going to be a tall task. Obviously, the best offense that maybe we've seen in a very long time yeah. comes in into Buffalo. And I don't only think it's going to be, I don't think it's, uh, it's almost unrealistic to think that you're going to shut this team down if, if for multiple games. I think what they need to do is manage the runs within mm-hmm. the game. Buffalo is going to go on their runs. You just need to limit how many times they go on the runs and how quickly you can stop the bleeding, especially in game one. We, you and I know, everyone knows, when Buffalo gets rolling, when that offense gets going, uh, you heard Dane say, when they get that swagger going, guys like Chase Fraser are pumping up the crowd. Um, that goal horn, uh, the obnoxious goal horn, the goal <laughs> song are going. It can snowball quickly. Yeah, and if, if Sweeney's getting those fans pumped up and the whole bandit land is rocking and that arena is – feels like it's reverberating mm-hmm. it is a very intimidating place to play but like john lint said throughout the battle with calgary throughout the series with san diego they found ways to limit those runs and claw their way back so they have yep. that composure to understand that hey you know what if we're down three four goals we have what it takes in this locker room to come back and climb out of that hole and regain that momentum so I think that's beneficial for both teams. Obviously, Buffalo wants to get that place rocking, but Colorado knows that they have the ability to kind of ride the tide, as it were, and and brace for it and be ready to battle back. Um, Mammoth looking for their first title since 2006. The last time that was played was Mammoth and Bandits in Bandyland. And if I would have told you Pat Coyle would have outscored John Tavares, would you have believed me? I'd call you a liar. I'd call uh, you Coyle had two liar. assists. JT notably was injured that game. Um, didn't play, I don't think, like m- the rest of the second half with a hamstring injury, but JT only had one goal. Patty Coyle had two assists. I do recall him, and again, 
I mean, this was a while ago, but I mean, going back and, and watching, going through the score sheets and, and whatnot. Do you recall hearing that JT was injured? But I still would have thought he got injured and still left the game with like four or five or something yeah. like that. Uh, he, I, 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 that was like nearing the end of his career that game. And he had been struggling with a hamstring injury for most of the year. And there was, I think he might've even been like a questionable for game time. And you weren't, just, you're not, you're not keeping him out of that. No, you're not. No way. But I think at, at the point, I just, I just remember his, his leg was heavily bandaged up and there's an instilled image of him just like full gear, just leaning over the dasher beside like Teddy accordingly, because he wasn't going to go out, but he was mm-hmm. still on the bench, still fully geared up. Would love to be out there, but yeah, he didn't play much of that game. But for the Bandits, two years later, they would have won or they would win uh, the title against Portland in 2008 uh, to make us all feel really old. Dehoga was 10. <laughs> wow. So Colorado looking for their for their first title since 06, the first final they've been in since then. The Bandits have been in a few since 2008, but they've come up shy both times. I think the biggest battle in this whole series will be between the two best goalies of the last decade in Matt Vince and Dylan Ward. I think this will be a spectacle of goaltending expertise between these two men. It's it's truly... Uh... And it sounds cheesy, but like, um, it's exciting. It's it's an honor almost that we're able to watch these two guys go go toe to toe on the biggest stage. Because you're right, these two have been the most dominant goaltenders um, that we've seen. And we, although I think Vino could probably play for another five to ten mm-hmm. years, we don't know how many more years of Vino we're going to get. Yeah. Um, and you know, this could be a, a you know passing of the torch moment, possibly. Um, I know Dylan Ward's been around the league for a long time, but he's got a lot of game left. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, these guys have both have, you know, won championships and, and, and medals together on team Canada. And uh, every year, when you talk about goaltender of the year, both their names are there, um, you know, here in Ontario, uh, MSL finals, they're usually playing against yeah, each other. Yeah. So these are two guys that, you know, they have been teammates, but they've also been foes. And we get to at least watch it one more time. And I'm fired up because um, I, I tend to agree with you. This is kind of the the one storyline that I'm keeping my eyes closest on. Do you think that Dylan Ward maybe has a chip on his shoulder knowing that he's kind of, you know, ever since he's come to the league, Matt Vince has like always been there and doesn't want a championship. Like, do you think that sits with him going into this series? <sighs> It's it's tough to say because he's he's such a guy like he's a guy that you know respects um, the history of the game respects uh, the those who've come before and I think he does you know have a lot of respect for Matt Vince but he's such a fiery competitor as well I think for sure I think he definitely thinks that if Matt Vince decided to retire a few years ago that he probably would maybe have a couple more goaltender of the years. Um, you know, sitting on a shelf or maybe Colorado finds their way, um, you know, to win a championship. But I, I couldn't see why not. I think he, he does. I think the respect is still there. Um, but he is so hungry uh, 
to get a championship. He's done everything at every level imaginable uh, when it comes to winning, except the NLL. Dylan Ward won goalie of the year back in 2017. Matt Vince, seven. <laughs> Crazy. Just, Crazy. Just ridiculous. And the fact that he's still playing is just just unreal. So, yes, that yeah, would I mean, be... He might, he might get another one this year. Yeah, no doubt. And And then there's Ward, who... Has been in the conversation for pretty much every single one. He's all but he's one. Just, and since he since he's been nominated, I was just looking at it right now. So his first nomination came in 2016. Uh, he lost to Evan Kirk. Uh, the next year he wins it. And then he's been a runner-up the last three years to Vince, Vince, and Dougie. Like, any one of those years, you could have easily made an argument yeah. for him. yeah. And it's a completely different story. And I, I think obviously he is a, a fiery competitor and he wants to win. And uh, I think he, there is a part of him that would love to have more goaltenders of the year. Mm-hmm. But I think if he, you said, okay, you only have one goaltender of the year, but you're also going to get an NLL cup this year. He's signing off that yeah. 110 times out of 10. Yeah. I, I think if Colorado is ever, the best team in the West in any of those years, he probably wins more than. Yeah. Yep. But he's, they've just, they've, they've had to go toe to toe with the rush every year. Right. And Mm -hmm. they've, and if, and if he is ever able to get them a first place seed in the West in any of those years, I think not only does he have more NL goal of the years, I think he may have a championship already, but we'll see if that plays out this series, another area that I think may play a factor and we all know faceoffs do and do not matter. So how much of an impact can Tim Edwards and Max Adler have in this series? I, I obviously, you know, my stance on faceoffs in the box game. I think they matter at certain points in the game and they matter a lot. And when you are a team like Buffalo, and you're scoring and you're going on those runs, possessions off the faceoff matter big time. Um, so if, if, if Adler can get on a run, um, that's going to be something that's huge. Uh, but for me, though, like Edwards, he was tremendous in that last uh, series. He's a guy that hasn't really played a whole ton this year uh, due to injury. But when he's in that lineup, not only is he winning faceoffs, like he's a key contributor on that defense. He's from the Western New York area as well. And you know, former Canisius Golden Griff, he's going to be all sorts of fired up. Like, yeah, I think he's going to be ready to go. He's going to have fa- family, friends in, the, in that building as well. Um, that's a matchup in itself that's going to be big. Um, and I think he's a player, I think, who could be an X factor for Colorado if they're going to win in game one, not just because of the faceoffs, uh, but also him contributing in other areas of the game. All right, so two more for you. Uh, can the Bandits neutralize the Mammoth transition game enough to make it a non-factor? Because it was a massive factor in the San Diego series. It was a huge factor in the San Diego series, and it was quite the factor in the Toronto Rock series as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and they did a but, good job shutting down the Rock transition game. Yeah. Yeah, and that's one thing you heard Dame when we talked to him, and pretty much any time you talk to that offense, yeah, they love spinning the ball. They like getting their looks, but they are fully aware. Um, 
especially against Toronto and now against another good transition team that sometimes you just have to sacrifice a little bit of offense to take away scoring and guys are coming hard to the bench. You have guys like Dane and Fraser who have the green light to go back and play and they trust them to play uh, some defense. Uh, And I think that's what's going to have to happen Um, because we learned uh, in that game and I know it's playoffs, so it's a bit different now, but in that game where Colorado came out on top, Colorado can win those 15, 14 games. Now it's not the old Colorado where they're scoring, you know, eight or nine and that's it. And the defense has to hold things down. They can survive in the shootouts. They can, I don't know if they can go blow for blow against a team like Buffalo, um, but they definitely can score in bunches, especially in the second half. And so I I think it is vital Mm -hmm. that Buffalo takes away some of that transition opportunity. Cause I think they believe that if they can eliminate transition or at least uh, slow it down, they have enough belief in their defense that they will win the five-on-five battle. Uh, Speaking of five-on-five, can Colorado do enough? Yes, Dane's going to get his and Josh is going to get his, but can they do enough to not allow DeHoga and Fields and Kluge and Fraser to win games? They have no choice. If they want to be in this series, they have to because you can't drum up a game plan where, all right, we're just going to, Take, uh, uh, you know, on the righties, we're just going to look after Dane. Lefties, we're going to that, look after Burn. If we can shut those two guys down or, or keep them at bay, we'll be fine. That's unfortunately not the case uh, with the Buffalo Bandits. Every single guy that steps out onto the floor and even in probably the press box that are healthy scratches, they can put the ball in that. Um, so it, it's going to basically come to that they have to trust their systems. They got to trust their goalie. Dylan Ward, they want to give up the shots that Ward wants to see. And I go back to it again. It's that the, the runs and the momentum we're talking to Brad Cree and Matt Sawyer after game one, they said they were pretty happy overall with the way the defense played at the majority points. Mm-hmm. They said the way they broke it down was there was a run of four, three, and then I think a five minute run where all the goals were scored. The rest of that time, the defense played great. They just said they really felt that once the run started going against them, they mm-hmm. completely lost trust in what they were doing. And they started not playing the way that the defense is supposed to and playing within their system. They got chasing around, which Buffalo wants you to do. Yeah. They want you to come by out on the near board. When Dane Smith is, is pulling the ball out, and starting his dodge from that that end boards or the sideboards, that's what he wants you to do. Yeah. He wants you to chase you. Want to spread out. So you have to, when the, when things are starting to go a little squirrely on you, you can't hit the panic button. And that's what I think Colorado has to, has to keep in their minds. Last week, our parlay was, it was in jeopardy for some time. Yes, but it Eli was. Eli McLaughlin. And the Colorado Mammoth pulled it out for us. See if we can uh, do it again as we go big. Time now for Box Bets, your source for all the lines, odds, and props across the NLL. Brought to you by CoolBet.com. Stay cool, bet responsibly. <laughs> hey, we're having a good day, lads. 
And uh, we're still in the mix, baby. <laughs> Always head over to coolbet.com uh, for all of the NLL final odds. But we have got a little spicy one for you here in game one. And there are full series odds there as well. So if you want to play some single special odd bets uh, on Cool Bet, please do. There are some spicy ones. Dehoga versus Zed Williams head-to-head total goals uh connor robbins versus dane smith head-to-head uh, how many points will kluche get in the series so there's lots of different ways that you can bet with the folks at cool bet but if our game one parlay patty what have we got for the folks this week so we had to get a little bit creative once again there's only one game there's only i know cool bet has a an extensive offer but it's one game we kind of went with a similar strategy that we had before. We didn't pick a winner because we are fine folks of the media. We can't be cheering for one side. But also, we like close games. We like entertaining games. So what does that mean? We like Colorado Mammoth to keep it within a goal and a half. And we like the over 23 and a half because we like goals. We like entertainment. We want bandit land to be rocking, but we figured we had to add something else into the mix. So the Dane train friend of the program, recurring guest to score the first goal of the game, the first goal of the series, add all three of those bets up plus 4,500 exclusively at cool bet Canada. Wow. I can't do math, but, but, you know, if I were to put a $20 bet down or a $30 bet down, Pat, what would that get me? $20 gets you a potential return of 920 So you are winning $900 off a $20 wager. Wow. Now, if I wanted to put $30 down, does CoolBet have any special offers for me? Yeah, well, you'll have to do a little bit of digging on your own. But if you like to bet on the NLO and you're a cool better, I highly suggest hit that promos tab. You'll find a little special offer for the NLO Cup Finals. Very juicy little hint there patrick uh over 23 and a half mammoth plus one and a half dane train to score the first goal grand total of plus 4500 we are helping you have an even better weekend than you possibly could for the first weekend of june and if you want to maybe sprinkle some of your winnings and earnings and monies elsewhere the pll opens this weekend and cool bet as lines for all the PLL games. We're going to stay away from that this week. We'll throw a little PLL spice next week. But if you want to get an early start on your winnings, coolbet.com. And as always, stay cool. Bet responsibly. Um, All right. That's uh, the show for this week. Got anything else uh, kicking around your brain over there? No, it's all lacrosse at all times. And I think we covered it all, man. We covered it all. I I brought up the expansion draft, and that now has my brain. And we can't – we got to focus 
We gotta stay focused. We still have three more games potentially, and then we can let our brains wander. But I know, I know our friend Evan Schemenauer. Um, he's already working on stuff uh, for that for the lacrosse flash. Once the season's over, you and I and a couple of the other Lax Flash familia will be starting to work on our draft prospect profiles mm. as well. So there's going to be a lot. of. I know we're sad. There's only two to three games left in the NLL season. But once that happens, uh, Lacrosse Flash can have a lot of PLL content and a lot of summer ball content as well. And you got to stay focused on your Ironheads, man. Have to stay focused. Big game tonight against uh, the Green Ones. Big weekend as well. I know the fellows, fellows will hold down the fort while I'm gone. Um, it's sad. It sucks. We're already halfway through our season, man. I know, right? I saw it that. is. It is brutal. It is brutal. Yeah. Okay, that just means we got to go on a deep run, right? Hey, deep runs are what it's all about during the summertime. Uh, thanks to John Lynch. Oh, thanks oh, to oh, Dave wait. Smith. What? Um, what? No. Shout out to all the um, NCAA champions oh, yeah we didn't even talk about that i know uh maryland the men's d1 uh north carolina the women's d1 tampa, uh, tampa d2 shout out my boy ryan sullivan mercyhurst alum winning his yeah. first title down in tampa with the spartans rit going back to back a ton of ontario and bc boys on that team yeah um, it was uh it was a wild week and they had a lot of weather delays yeah yeah it was um but shout out to the ESPN guys uh, that did an incredible job calling all those games. I, I don't know the exact number. I can't remember it. But I saw someone put out a stat that, like, combined, the men's and women's champions were, like, 120 and 5 or something like that. It's crazy. Like, throughout the whole season. Like, North Carolina women's went undefeated. Maryland, I think, maybe lost one. Tampa had it went 21 and 0. Like, there were some just incredible records this year. And like I said, I can't remember the number, but like, all those teams were 20 win programs and no more than one loss. Like, just unreal job by the men and women out on the field this year. Yeah, I think RIT was 22 and 1. They only had the one loss this year. Um, bananas absolutely yeah. crazy but i think i i think uh, and before you get to your point i i think sometimes people are like ah oh, when like a team's that dominant it's kind of boring but like i don't know like maryland like being one of the greatest teams like ever assembled like that's interesting mm-hmm. like i thought that'd be absolutely tragic if, if cornell knocked them off and they lost yeah that team's just another team they're they're forgotten now they're going to go down in, in the record books as one of the best D1 teams um, they, that have ever played. And producer Donnie, uh, yeah, Don, shout out Donville, producer Donnie. Yeah. Uh, you know, beating his former team, Cornell. Yeah, that's a crazy I mean, story. That in itself was a, a wild story, which I, I don't know if they talked about it all too much, um, but that was crazy. I think yeah. they talked about it briefly when he scored. Wasn't the line like six and a half or something like that in that game too, or something ridiculous? Oh yeah, six and a half. I think it was seven and a half. It started at seven and a half, dropped down to six and a half. I hammered it. I cast that <laughs> bet. Cool bet. How are you? Um, uh, Producer no. Donnie didn't hit his his player yeah, no, player props. Close. We won't we won't talk about that. But uh, 
You needed more of a bird bump for that one. Um, I, well, my point was going to be like the D2 men's final was Tampa and Mercy. And I was talking with uh, Tyler Heaven, my co-coach, who went to Adelphi. And he's like, what? who's Mercy? When, when did Tampa get a team? And the growth of D2 lacrosse, I think yes. I talk about this pretty much every year. The growth of D2 lacrosse, the number of programs that are out there now. Like when I was at Mercier's, there was maybe, there, there couldn't have been more than 20 D2 schools. Mm-hmm. Now there's like 50. Yeah. And they're all over the U.S. It's unbelievable. So if you're a high school kid looking to go play ball, it's not all about D1. Yep. There are tons of incredible D2 and D3 programs out there that can still get you a chance at a natty title. And we're seeing it with some of the kids that, you know, and just because you play D3 doesn't mean you're never getting to the, the PLO or the NLL because we're seeing those kids have dominance in both leagues out of D3 and out of D2. doesn't matter. So um, it was an incredible college season. It's over. NLL season is wrapping up. Summer ball, PLL, it's all right around the corner. And that means it's just uh, a perfect time of year. Get a tan, watch some lacrosse, sweat your bag off inside an arena. <laughs> it's the and, worst and, pain, but the best pain at the same exactly. time, isn't it? Uh, I tried saying this earlier, but thanks to John Lentz. Thanks to Dane Smith. He is Pat Gregoire. You can find him on Twitter, at P. Greggy. I'm Teddy Jenner, at Teddy Jenner, the show, at OTCB underscore podcast. And we're also on Instagram at OTCB Podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks for taking your time. If you go to the game, take a friend. If you take a friend, buy him a beer because lacrosse is fun with beers. Until we speak again, stay safe and be excellent to each other. I am an